Hello and welcome to the Foreclosure Deals Coach Podcast. I am your host, Donnie Corum, recording here at the Creative Density Studios right here in downtown Denver. As always, I have my main man and producer, Mr. Jonathan Winston. What's going on, Jay? Uh, not too much. It is the holiday season, and by the looks of your suit, I'm getting festive. Like I, I, I got to tell you, man, the, the suit, it took some time to prepare, right? A bunch of elves tackled me, got my measurements. It's like, you're going to wear this. Um, I feel festive, though. Feeling yeah. good. I, I don't know, man. I, I think I might have stiff-armed an elf if he was trying to put that put me in that, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> He's a tough elf, man. Right? <laughs> There's like four of them. Anyway, um, hey, listen, this is the Foreclosure Deals Coach Podcast where you guys tune in each and every week. Thank you guys so much for uh, being an active member, active listener of the show here. And we discuss what's going on in the foreclosure marketplace. And as always, we're going to start out this week, as we do every week, with a wonderful, rousing article from the media about foreclosures. So we have a um, an article that's on PR Newswire from one of our favorite data providers, Adam Data Solutions, talking about how U.S. foreclosure activity in October 2019 climbs upward from previous month. Now, here's the thing, all right? What you are hearing, generally speaking, if you're out buying a house, is you're hearing a lot of news about how awesome the real estate market is, nobody's foreclosing, uh, houses are at all-time highs price-wise, and generally speaking, that's true. But the warning I like to give people as listeners of the show is don't believe the hype. Okay. By the time the foreclosure market is in full swing, you'll already be two years past the beginning of it. Okay. And depending on your stances politically and financially and economically and everything, I believe we are in the beginning of a real estate recession. Now, where did I come up with that? Quite simple. If you look at the foreclosure proceedings that are taking place right now, you're seeing a consistent increase. It's been at all-time lows for a long time, so a consistent increase is actually not that impressive, right? If you're at the bottom, you got to go up from there. However, if you're heading that direction today, if more and more foreclosure starts are taking place, now is the time to consider maybe investing in a foreclosure. Now, the thought process is dependent on whether you're a real estate investor or retail buyer, should you be buying a house below market? I can make that very simple for you. No matter when you're buying, you should always be looking for a house below market, right? Because in the end, one thing we know about real estate is it's cyclical. It goes up, it goes down. If you're buying at the very top of the market, which at most markets across the U.S., you are unquestionably there. We're recording again in downtown Denver, Colorado, where houses have gone to all-time highs, never seen before. It's crazy what the pricing is right now, okay? So the only place we can go from here is where? Got to go down. We got to go down, right? That, that's real-world stuff. Now, here's the thing. I, my crystal ball is broken. I can't mm. make guarantees to y'all right now on when it's going to go down. But what I do know is if you're buying at the top, you can only head one direction. Whereas if you're buying a foreclosure, you're generally buying below the market, hopefully a lot below the market, but at very least a little bit below the market. So if the market corrects and you lose, and I'm doing air quotes on lose if you're watching the video here, mm. if you lose equity, and the reason that's air quotes is because when a house goes down in value, it's like a stock. You haven't lost anything. Does that make sense? Like you can reduce your stock price. Like let's say you own Apple stock. I own a decent amount of Apple stock, right? and Apple goes down $10 a share, have I lost $10 a share? Theoretically, if I were selling the stock, right? But if I'm not selling the stock, then I've lost nothing. It's just flipped on a screen. So I'm encouraging you not to get upset about a reduction in price value, but my point in this is if houses do correct, when they do correct, 
You want to be on the tail end of that where you've already bought it below market. You're not worried about getting wiped out and all of your equity getting wiped clean. Or worse still, as we saw in the 08-09 crisis, where you're so far upside down, you can't sell it for five plus years. Okay, and that happened to a lot of people. So we're here to stave off that, that situation for you, help you to buy a deal. So a foreclosure is when you're buying a property that is bank-owned or government-owned at below market. Now, why is it below market? Because banks are not in the housing business. They're in the money business. And when they take a house back on foreclosure because somebody doesn't make their payments, let me assure you, they don't do so happily, right? You mm -hmm. see the Monopoly guy with the monocle going, <laughs> do not pass go. Do not collect $200. <laughs> That's not how real-world banking works. To be honest with you, their favorite part of this process is collecting payments. And if you take that part away from them, they now got to go, I got to take this house back. Now we got to fix it up. We got to secure it. Got to pay the taxes. Got to make sure it doesn't freeze over during the winter. A lot of stuff going on that banks are not good at. Okay. They don't want to foreclose. They just kind of have to. If that note goes from a performing note where they're making money each and every single month in interest and payments and it do a non-performing note, they got to do something about it. Right. So they take the house back, ideally to sell it on the open market, below market. This is your opportunity. As a listener here to the Foreclosure Deals Coach podcast, we encourage and we coach people on purchasing these below-market properties and turning them into profitable ventures, either in the form of living there and then selling it in the future, thus creating a wonderful, uh, let's say, retirement fund for your family, right? Or renting it out, right? Bel buying below market and renting at market rent. You should get more than your payment is because you bought it below market, right? Lastly, fixing and flipping it, where you buy the house, fix it up, put it back in the market. Right? Regardless of your exit strategy, we can help you with that. But today's show, we're going to go into, this all sounds very risky, right? There's got to be a principle, a lot of you out there, who goes, I want to do foreclosure investing. I can't tell you how many times I'm at a cocktail party dressed in this exact suit, right? <laughs> when they go to the suit, they're like, hey, so what do you do? I explain that I invest in foreclosures. He goes, man, always wanted to do that. It just seems so risky. Well, here's my opinion on that. Not doing it to me is risky, Right? Buying a house at the top of the market, I believe that's a risk. I believe if, it's not even really a risk. It's a guarantee you're going to lose money, right, at some point in the indeterminable future. Yeah, not ideal, not ideal. Not ideal, right? However, buying a foreclosure, you're mitigating that risk. But how can we mitigate that risk further? Not just against market conditions, but you're buying a house that somebody did not take care of, did not make the payments on, and likely needs some work, Right. So how do you mitigate the risks you don't lose money in foreclosure investing? So I had to shoot straight with you. If you're being advised by a real estate agent, a one of the many investor gurus out there trying to sell their latest course, right? By the way, buy my course, foreclosuredealscoach.com. If you're being swayed by one of those guys right now, here's the problem, right? They make money selling information, or in the case of an agent, they make money selling the house. Are they protecting your best interest? Well, I can tell you that the average real estate agent and I'm just speaking for the state of Colorado, but I'd be willing to bet it goes nationwide. The average real estate agent here in the state of Colorado sells 4.3 houses per year. Okay, If you're working with an agent who sold his last house three months ago because he's averaging one per quarter, do you think he's interested, he or she, is interested in getting you the best deal possible or keeping the lights on at their house that week? Right? And I'm not out there to knock real estate agents. I am, in fact, a real estate agent. Okay, I'm just saying my priorities are different. I represent investors and investor-minded people who want to buy a deal. So if you're looking for the house with a white picket fence and the perfect yard and the perfect neighborhood, I may not be a real estate agent. You know, Now, if you really want to spend money and you got to buy that top-of-the-line house, I'm not encouraging you not to call me, so let's get that <laughs> clear. Right? 
But my job, my passion, what this whole show is based around is helping you to find that deal, that diamond in the rough. And depending on what market you're in, that gets increasingly difficult to find that deal. So all day, like all day, seriously, my job is to analyze the market, find the gems, and then get them to my investors. If you tell me I want to be a neighborhood X, I find all the houses in that area, we find the bottom of that, and then we monitor that neighborhood until we find the right deal. I'm in no rush to sell you house du jour. I'm looking for a deal, right? And to back that up, we offer a $10,000 equity guarantee, which means your house will have at least $10,000 in equity being defined as the difference between what we paid for the property and what it's worth that day. Not a hypothetical 30 days from now or three years from now, but that very day, there'll be a $10,000 gap. If you buy a foreclosure with myself or one of my team members, or we will give you, wait for it, 10 grand in cash. It's amazing, right? And here's the thing. I have never paid that 10 grand out, and I am not going to start with you. That's a promise. But to make sure you understand we put our money where our mouth is, I want to show you how we can find a deal in the marketplace, even when they tell you there are no deals. But once you've found that deal, how do we make sure that you're not buying a lemon? How do we mitigate risk in foreclosure investing? Let's dive into that in the rest of the time we have here today, how we can work on that. Number one, you need to do an inspection. Okay, here's the thing about doing an inspection. When you're buying a HUD property, and in general, most foreclosure properties, there's an agreement when you sign up, sign the contract that you were, they're not going to fix anything. You see, the banks are not in the fixing business. When they're selling the property, they're selling it at a discount, so you'll deal with the unknowns. And that's okay if you're just, you know, you, again, going back to the Mr. Moneybags, you know, analogy with Monopoly, mm. if you're so paid, it don't matter. Don't worry about it, right? You can take right. care of it. But if you're a first-time home buyer, second-time home buyer, somebody who's just looking to enter the market and buy a deal, you really need to do an inspection. In the case of HUD properties, they do the inspection for you, which is one of the reasons I love working with HUDs, because A, the government loves to sell them cheap, B, I like buying stuff cheap, and C, they've already done an inspection for it, so I can tell you what's wrong with the property, so you don't need to hire a formal inspector. But in any other situation, you absolutely positively need to do an inspection because you need to know what you're getting into. Understand that they are not going to fix anything in that inspection. It's so important to note when you're buying a foreclosure, in 98% of cases, it's an as-is condition sale. The bank did knock 50, 60 grand off that house so then you can negotiate with them about you know putting a new kitchen faucet in. Okay? <laughs> That's not how this deal is going to work. They've already taken the loss. They're not real happy about it. right? So in their opinion, this is their bargain basement take it or leave it price, and whatever comes up in that inspection becomes your problem beyond certain things. And when I say that, I mean if the roof is shot, right, then sometimes we can negotiate for that. In most cases we can't, but sometimes we can. Structural issues, we're just going to back out entirely, right, and cancel the contract. The reason we're doing the inspection is not to get the bank to take any money off the price or to do the repairs that you're looking for like you'd see on a typical retail sale. Because when you buy a property from a normal retail seller, you do an inspection. You do what's called an inspection objection where you're saying, I still want to buy the house, but you got to fix this, 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 or that for me to still be interested, right? And most retail sellers who are decently motivated look at that list and go, yeah, I know I should have cleaned that furnace like four years ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, it would have been nice if this was done. Just all the deferred maintenance stuff they knew they were going to have to do, they go ahead and catch up on, and then you buy the property. With foreclosures, you're doing an inspection simply to know whether you're going to do the deal or not do the deal. 
And I'll give you an example. I went under contract on a property um, in the uh, south part of Colorado Springs, Colorado, one of my favorite hunting grounds for buying good deals. And we did our inspection on the property. And on the surface, the property looked like hell. You know, that, that's the idea. I buy stuff that looks like hell so I can get it below market so we can fix it up and make a profit. But then you started peeling back the onions of looking like hell. And we found out they hadn't had the um, plumbing shut off, right? So the water was still running and the furnace although active and had gas to it, was not currently on because the, uh, they had not, uh, something wrong with the thermostat or whatever. So we're doing the inspection. We're finding frozen water oh. in the toilet bowls, right? Which means the pipes are probably frozen, which means I've just inherited not only a great deal on a house, but a great deal on a house with severe plumbing issues, right? <laughs> and and I got to be frank with you, sometimes, depending on my mood, that'd be all right. You know, if I wasn't bogged down with a bunch of deals, I would go, hey, we can get through this. We negotiate a little bit more off the price and we take it in this situation because I did an inspection, which cost me money. I made an investment in that inspection only to not buy the house. Right. Mm. And a lot of people can't handle that. Like, why are you going this far in? Because I would rather spend $300 on an inspection today and avoid the $15,000 plumbing issue I'm, I'm inheriting. You see what I'm saying? So I'm saving money by doing the inspection. So that's sure. one way we can mitigate risk is go ahead and do the inspection. Now, that seems obvious, but when you're playing in the fast-paced world of banks trying to sell properties cheap, you got multiple offers, a lot of people waive the inspection and go, I'll buy it as is. I don't care what's wrong with it. I'll take it. Once again, if you're in a financial position where you can swing a $20,000 differential, because you found a plumbing issue or a structural issue down the road, no big deal. But I think a lot of our listeners are just getting started in foreclosure investing. And as such, you want to protect yourself against that by doing an inspection. So that's number one, mitigate your risk by doing an inspection on the property. Number two, financing matters. And here's what I mean. Uh, we met a wonderful wife and daughter, sorry, daughter and mother team. I don't know where I came from. Where am okay. I going? Um, Bought a house out of foreclosure, and they went hard on this thing. And I got to tell you, like, we do excellent work on our flips. These two watched a lot of 80s flip this house and, like, blew us away. Like, very like, ambitious. Very, very ambitious. ambitious. And like, this house, I mean, on, honest to God, I would have moved in this property, no doubt, right? But here's the problem. I met them three months after purchase. It oh. took them another three months to get it fixed up. Wait. Yeah. So we're six months deep on this thing, right? Now, they had financed the property with hard money. And hard money, I'm a private and hard money lender myself, okay? We, as lenders, charge a lot for the use of our money without the underwriting that goes into a typical loan. In this case, a lot was 12% interest. Now, 12% interest over six months on a $400,000 acquisition price meant we chopped in another 4000 a month times six months of interest, or twenty four grand, which was fundamentally the majority, if not all, the profit on this deal after multiple contractors, several design changes, and just overdoing the rehab. Okay, So in the end, although they did a gorgeous job on the rehab, they will still walk out with very little, if, if not no profit on this, simply because they went way too long on the financing. Okay, what is my point? Not to do hard money? Absolutely not. I think hard money or paying high interest loans are very effective. Sorry, Dave Ramsey, I know you're not big on borrowing money, but you're not listening to my show right now anyway. So um, I believe that in this situation, if you're going to own it quickly, my goal is to take a house from ugly to pretty, and I give my contracting crew seven to 10 days to make that happen. Right? You ever seen like a uh, flipping show on like fast forward? 
Like, with the doo, 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 people just running the, around. The beautiful montage of everybody smiling, like, right, oh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm going to eat these cookies. And I can't wait to make apple pies in my kitchen. It's going to be so great. <laughs> yeah, it, it, that's, that's my real world, right? I'm doing that, but I'm getting it done really fast, right? So my cost to do the financing, if you figure I can fix it in seven to ten days, we're on the market for, yeah, like, my longest one hit 30 this year, but because the Colorado market is so fast, generally speaking, we're on the market for one to 10 days, right? Mm -hmm. And then there's a 30 day or so closing process, which sometimes I can even shorten that. So total ownership works out to four to six weeks if you're doing it correctly. And now that 12% hard money rate is not so bad. See what I'm saying? Because I've compressed the time frame. If this flip is going to take you six to eight months to do, right, then you do not want to use 12% financing. Right. You also may want to reconsider whether you want to do a flip that's going to take six to eight months. I'm, I got a little bit of ADD, you may have noticed from the show, hmm. and as a result, being in the same product for six months would drive me insane, right? It's not the best investment of time you know, when you're thinking about it. You could be doing a lot more deals in that six-month time frame. Absolutely, and the amount of time it took to do that one, you know, a, a lot of my investors have done four or five. You see what I'm saying? Right. So it's just a matter of angling it so you can get it done fast. And if it's a huge project, reconsider it. Like, not that you shouldn't, if that's your business, if you decide I'm going to take on a massive one, great. But finance it so you can mitigate the risk accordingly. Right? So two ways we can mitigate risk. The final one is actually the easiest one of them all. Buy it right to begin with. Because it's the adage has been said, my mentor pounded into my head over and over and over again. Thank you, Mr. Jake. You make your money when you buy. And it's so true because you have actually already decided what your profit margin is going to be based on the purchase price and acquisition. And I don't care if you're an owner-occupant who's going to live there for two years to take advantage of the tax code that allows you to sell a house up to $250,000 or half a million dollars in the form of a couple with absolutely no tax liability, right? You're making that profit when you purchase the property. So you got to focus on the buy side of this transaction, not as much on the sell side, right? Because right. the money is made when you purchase the home. So third way, the most important way to mitigate your risk is buy the property right. And that seems super obvious too, but let me tell you what happens in real world stuff. This is, I call it eBay logic, right? Somebody's excited about the house. Somebody else is excited about the house. Suddenly it turns into this bidding war back and forth, and neither investor is going to make any money on this deal because they both wanted the house too bad. Right? you got to focus on the fact that you're making your money when you buy. This is trading. This is trading in the sense, no different than stock market trading, or if you buy and sell cars, whatever the, the, uh, the commodity is that you purchase, you've got to buy it right to begin with if you want to keep yourself out of risk at the end. Right? So don't worry about what the sales price is on the back end. A lot of people focus on, man, we can get 500 grand for this house. That's wonderful. But if you paid 475 and it needs 50 grand worth of work, I don't care what you can get for it. You're going to lose money on that. <laughs> right? That's the bottom line. So we got to make sure when we're looking for the property, you're buying it correctly. If you're unsure on whether or not you're buying a house correctly, I am merely a phone call away. Okay? And I totally encourage you, hit me up on LinkedIn, Donnie Coram, C-O-R-A-M. Check me out there. Go to the Foreclosure Deals Coach page. However you can get in touch with me, good old hashtag Donnie Coram will do it. Right? I would love to help you to walk through this, or you can always hit foreclosure deals coach and talk to one of my many coaches here on the team who can walk you through this process. But the point is, is I want to help you to make sure you're buying them correctly to ultimately mitigate your risk. 
So that's it. You know, it is the holiday season, and a lot of people are thinking, man, I'm going to wait till January to buy a deal. Let me tell you, the deals are out there. They, they, we've got proof of that everywhere you look. You're seeing stuff pop up. And right now, you've got sellers that are also thinking, well, nobody's going to come buy this house until January, February. So when you show up with an offer, you're doing them a favor. Don't wait. Get out there right now. Go buy yourself a deal in the deep, dark months of December and January. You're going to find yourself competing less and making more by buying it right. And in the meantime, you got to keep an eye on the market. Join up with us. Get on the Foreclosure Deals Coach page. Keep telling your friends about the podcast. Our listenership has been exploding throughout 2019, and we got a lot to bring you coming into 2020, so please do stay tuned. But with that, we are out of time for today. This is Donnie Corum, your Foreclosure Deals Coach, thanking you so much for tuning in each and every week and reminding you once again, don't buy a house, buy, buy a, a deal. deal.